0: It's amazing how um, powerful music is, and what it can do, and and how the Lord has blessed us with with music. Uh, he created it, and, and uh, Jamal and, and you guys, thank you so much for, for helping us this morning as we unpack this psalm before us. And all of us have been there, haven't we? We've been there, and, and I, oftentimes, in the midst of those times, I think it's really important for us to... To keep in mind that there are some, some truths out there that we need to be reminded of all the time. And children have an incredible way of helping us understand these things. And so, I'd like to introduce you to a guy by the name of Alexander. Alexander said this in his book, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake... I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said it was being scrunched. I said it was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I am going to get carsick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend, and that Albert Moyo was his next best friend, and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on attack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. <laughs> there were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on, t- on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was. Because after my mom took us all to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me, come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed to my foot, and while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy, and then I started crying because of the mud Nick and Nick. And because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And, I, and while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I told everybody. No one even answered So we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white shoes with with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the man said to me, we're all sold out. They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. (laughs) When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with this copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was careful as I could be, except for my elbow. He also said don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. (laughs) My dad said to my mom, please don't pick me up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. All of us have been there. We've all been there. That day when nothing seems to go our way, that day when everything seems to be against us, and it's one thing to have it just simply be one day. But what happens when one day turns into two, when two days turns into a week, when one week turns into a month, and one month turns into a season? As we've walked through the psalms over the past number of weeks, I've reminded you that the psalms are real. I've reminded you that the psalmists do not exclude anything from life as they express their experiences in life. And this past week, I, I uh, got together with a couple pastors in town on two separate occasions, and, and they looked at me and, and they asked me, said, So, John, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I, told, and I, and I looked at them and I said, I'm preaching on Psalm 88. And each of them, on two separate occasions, the response was this, What were you thinking? You see, Psalm 88, and I invite you to turn there now, Psalm eighty eight goes to that place. It goes to that place that is not one of those places that we're comfortable going. We're not comfortable going there because we show up on a Sunday morning and, and, and what ends up happening on a Sunday morning is we feel obligated to put on a happy face. We feel obligated to tell every to tell people that everything is just fine when everything's really not fine. And in Psalm 88, we find this happen, that that it expresses things that we think should only be thought and not said. Alexander had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Alexander, I think, would love Psalm 88. And Psalm 88 tells us that there are those seasons when it feels nothing but darkness. The psalmist writes these words, Yahweh, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I am am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Yahweh, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Yahweh. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Yahweh, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Father, we pray now as we get into this psalm. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would meet us, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we can understand that in the darkness that we're not alone, that you would open our minds so that we can grasp these concepts and this reality that you care for us, that you would open our ears that we can hear clearly from you, and that you'd open our hearts that we would be transformed, given hope in the midst of dark times that happen in our lives. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be lifted up, that you would be exalted, that you would be the one who receives all praise and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this psalm, this psalm starts off so strong starts off so strong it's a strong opener and, and and the psalmist immediately addresses some truths of God and there are those times in our lives when when we're going through life that the truths of God are so very clear to us we understand that he saves we understand that he's there we understand that he'll respond to us and that's what's going on with the psalmist as he cries out, he says, My prayer comes before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Day and night I cry out to you. It's God who's the one, He is the one who saves. And one of the things I've noticed in my life, and maybe it's true in yours as well, is that we start off realizing that we've been saved by God, and then as life goes on and as life throws problems our way, and as we experience difficulties in life, all of a sudden we think that we have to do the saving. That we have to figure out how to get ourselves out of this situation. That we are the ones that put ourselves in this situation, so it's going to depend on us to get us out of that situation. And so often, especially as we go through this psalm, you realize that the psalmist starts with this understanding that God saves him, but by the time he gets to the end, that truth of God is way off in the distance. Darkness is my closest friend. You see, the psalmist understands originally that God saves him, understands originally that God hears him when he cries out. Notice what else he says here. He says, day and night I cry out to you. God enjoys interacting with humanity. He enjoys the back and forth. He enjoys the dialogue. And one of the things I love about the psalmist is this, is that he understands that prayer is a non-stop experience. It's not something that we do every now and then. According to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, we are to pray continually. That means this, that if you're in the middle of the day, you feel struck by something to pray about, you pray. It means this, in the middle of the night, in the middle of driving down the road, in the middle of a work project, in the middle of a family time, in the middle of whatever's going on in your life, we can pray. We can stop. And it doesn't mean that we take our hands off the wheel if we're driving and close our eyes and, and get down on the floor of our car and start praying. What it means is that we direct our attention to God and, and say, Lord, help me through this. Our God is a God who's available all the time. The psalmist understands that. And the psalmist also knows this, that in crisis, praying happens. In crisis, praying Praying happens. We don't wait for the crisis to clear and then start praying. We pray in the midst of the crisis. The song that Jamal sang during the the offering about, Lord, take my, precious Lord, take my hand, that was in the middle of a crisis. We have these crises happen all the time, and instead of waiting until the end and praying, the psalmist says, Pray now. Pray now. And then the psalmist ventures into those places that we would say that are outside the lines. Verse 3, I'm overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Yahweh, every day. I spread out my hands to you. I talked about my mom repeatedly over the course of the three years, almost three years that I've served here. And, and my mom would, she, she knew this, that I talked way too much. And she also knew this, that there was a time and a place for me to say certain things. In essence, John, you need to stay in the lines when you're talking to people. You need to stay in those lines. And I think if if my mom were here right now and she was reading with me Psalm 88, I think she would say that the psalmist went outside the lines here. That, That we need to keep things in our communication with God inside these lines because the rawness of this psalm is abundantly clear right now. This psalm is raw with emotion. He is overwhelmed with trouble. His life draws near to death. He even says that he is set apart with the dead. We're okay with some of these statements, but then the accusations mount. He says this, you remember no more. Your care is cut off. You put me in the lowest pit. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've taken my closest friends from me. My mom would say, That's outside the lines. You're talking to God. You should not bring up these issues. But yet, that's life. We have a God who's involved in life. We have a God who enjoys interacting with us. We have a God that, that is there in the midst of it. And what strikes me as you look at this psalm is that no point does is there any mention of what this person's situation is. Some commentators believe that he had that he had leprosy. Some people believe that he had been betrayed by a close friend, but none of them can none of it's conclusive. None of it's conclusive. And and what's comforting about that, believe it or not, is this. Is that this psalm, this psalmist, his experience can be a universal experience for all of us that are going through crises. We don't have to be in this situation to say, well, Psalm 88, the psalmist gets it. No, whatever's going on in our lives, the psalmist understands it because it's right here. It's what's going on with us. And the other thing is this, is it. It is okay to express our emotions to God. Do you believe that? Do you know that? It's okay to express your emotions to God. Yesterday there was a memorial service here for, for Janae McWilliams. Many of you were here. One of the things that I walked away from that memorial service was this, was that Janae had this way of connecting with people. That she was, she was there, she was present there. And no matter what you were going through in life, she understood that. And person after person after person got up and expressed that. That she understood them, that she understood these, this broad range of emotion, and she understood that God could handle those emotions. Moses told God that it was his fault that he put Moses in charge of God's people. Jonah was ticked off at God for caring about the Ninevites. The entire book of Habakkuk is an ongoing expression of Habakkuk's annoyance with God. In 37 of the 42 chapters of Job, Job does nothing but express emotion. King David expresses all types of emotion in all the Psalms that he wrote. Paul cries out to God in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, Lord, I'm tired of dealing with this thorn in the flesh. Take it away. James and John are so caught up in emotion one day that they say, please let us call down fire from heaven. We don't like these people. The Lord is big enough to handle our emotions. He just is. My mom would say that we need to stay in the lines, but yet, here's what's true about life. Life often goes outside the lines. It goes outside the lines. You can't can't stay in the lines in life all the time when you're coloring. Those coloring books are great. But yet, let's be honest... Life doesn't stay inside the lines very well. Life doesn't stay inside those lines where we can say that everything's that one and one are going to make two and that everything's going to work out perfectly because there are those seasons in life when life is outside the lines and we don't know what to do. We wonder where God is. And then the psalmist takes it to another level and he does what I call a cross examination. We pick it up in verse 10. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Yahweh. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Yahweh, do you reject me and hide your face from me? The psalmist Psalmist ask those questions that make us a little uneasy and these questions are questions that need to be asked these questions are questions that that are burning within him because his crisis isn't alleviating it isn't it isn't lessening. And at times in all of our lives, there are those places where questions come up, and that question is, why is this happening? God, where are you in the midst of this? We've been there before, at least I have. And I want you to know this, that it's okay also to ask questions. I get asked questions that that I can't answer oftentimes as a pastor. Pastor, why is this happening right now? Why, my wife and I have been praying about this and, and, and we, this will not happen. This isn't happening. We've been praying for a family member and they continue to do this. Why is that happening? Why am I struggling with loneliness? Why am I struggling with this? Oftentimes, we wonder if God even hears us. We're there. We've been there. But there's something in the midst of this cross-examination that I think is essential for us to remember. Look closely at verse 11. Verse 11, the psalmist says this, Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction, is your love? In the middle of this crisis, in the middle of this cross-examination, the psalmist uses a word that perhaps turns the table for him. Is your love. That word love there, we need to talk about that for a few moments. That word love there needs to be revealed because this word, that love word that he talks about right there, this word has amazing amazing relevance and importance in the entire Old Testament. It's a word that it, that is you it's spelled H E S E D. Hesed. Hesed. That's the word that he uses. And this word occurs 255 times in the Old Testament, it, and 130 of those 255 times are in the Psalms. Why is that important? It's because this word hesed, it describes the duties, the benefits, and commitments that one party bears to another, and get this next part, as a result of the relationship between them. This word is essential for us in understanding who our God is. It's essential for us, and all of a sudden, in the middle of this of this dark psalm, the psalmist remembers Hesed. He remembers Hesed and, 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 and it's, this, it's this commitment that's involved there. But John, what's that commitment? Here's what that commitment is. Hesed means steadfast fast love. It means a love that's going to be there no matter what. It means a love that's going to be there in the darkness. It means a love that's going to be there when everything's going wrong. It means a love that's going to be there when everything's going right. It's this love, it's this steadfast love that knows no end. And it is the most important characteristic that God desires to see embodied in individuals and communities. He desires FBC of Salinas to have a Hesed experience. That we would have a steadfast love for one another. This church has been in existence for over 140 years. And trust me, that love has been tested many times. But that steadfast love is what God desires us to be about in caring for one another. It's that steadfast love that we need with one another as we go through life together. It's that steadfast love that we hope is experienced in our life group ministry. It's that steadfast love that we hope is experienced in Journey and in Kid Zone. It's that steadfast love that we hope is experienced in I-55. It's that steadfast love that keeps us in there with one another. So in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of this cross-examination, the psalmist brings up this powerful word. And you can almost feel that he's grasping for straws and he wants to lean on this. And you want to believe that everything now is going to take off and improve. But yet he follows that up with this in verse 14. Why? Yahweh, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Just a few verses prior, he's talking about this steadfast love, and then he comes to this place of, where are you? Why do you reject me? Why? And it leads to this. How can you not feel hopeless when it feels like God is not there? It's impossible. God is a God of hope. God is a God of love. God is a God that is in there in the the midst of it, yet there are these seasons in our lives where this psalm is our life. And it leads to this question, is there any hope? Is there hope in the darkness? We pick it up in verse 15. From my youth I've suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have, sur- have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You, you have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. This isn't one day of trouble like Alexander had. This isn't one day of not getting his way and made his life difficult. This isn't one day. This isn't one day that the psalmist is experiencing. This is seasons. From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and am in despair. I've got to tell you, how could you not be in despair? If all you've known your entire life is suffering and feeling as if you're close to death, so again the question comes back: Where is the hope, John? Every single psalm has hope. Has hope in it. Where is the hope? Where's the hope, the psalmist? And these are the different things that the psalmist has listed. He's near death. He's weak. He feels like he's been abandoned. He feels that his friends are nowhere to be found. He feels trapped. He has questions that are unanswered. He feels as if God has abandoned him. And his conclusion in all of this is this. Darkness is my closest friend. John, where's the hope? Where's the hope? Because right now in my life, I'm going through a dark time. Where's the hope, Pastor John? Where's the hope? What if I were to tell you that hope is all on, all throughout this psalm? What if I were to tell you that this psalm is dripping with hope even in the midst of the darkness? What if I were to tell you that no matter how dark it gets, and it does get dark... There's hope. What if I were to tell you that this psalm is a reminder that even in the darkest places, there is hope? Because listen to what the psalmist says throughout the psalm. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. I call to you, Yahweh, every day, but I call to you for help, Yahweh. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. If there was no hope, why would the psalmist even pray? The psalmist prays constantly, and the reason why the psalmist prays constantly in the darkness is because there's always hope. Because we have a God who has a hesed type of love, a steadfast love, that yes, you can express your emotions, yes, you can ask Him questions, but in the midst of all of it, there is hope. No matter how dark things are in your life right now, and trust me, I've talked to some of you, there are some dark things going on in your life, there is hope. Darkness is my closest friend. The psalmist knew this to be true, that in the midst of the darkness, God said, let there be light. Why pray? Why pray if there's no one on the other end? Why pray if you don't think there's any way out of this? Why pray if darkness truly is your only only friend? You pray because you know someone's out there. You know that someone will take care of you. You know that someone's going to keep you moving. We pray, because in the darkness, God is there. Matthew writes these words. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon... Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows the darkness. He knows the darkness. When He was on that cross, He experienced a darkness unlike any of us will ever experience. When He was on that cross, He entered entered into a darkness so that we wouldn't have to go to that darkness. He knows it full well because Jesus Christ went into that deepest pit. He was like one without strength because He was beaten viciously before He was placed on the cross. The very friends that He had had abandoned Him, had scattered He was surrounded by people like a flood who wanted him dead quickly. He experienced the darkness that no one had ever experienced before. He felt forsaken. He felt abandoned. And if anybody, he could say the darkness is my closest friend. But Jesus Christ went to that darkness because you and I will never have to be in that darkness alone. Because in the darkness... Jesus is there. In the darkness, He knows what we're going through. In the darkness, there is hope. And there's hope because that darkness ended with a resurrection. That darkness ended with the hope of new life. That darkness ended by Jesus Christ saying, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am with you till the very end of the age. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. All I know is this, is that if you're not going through some struggles right now, there will be struggles. And if you're going through those struggles right now, I want you to know this, that Jesus Christ is there that He will not let you down. And yes, you can ask the questions. Yes, you can express your emotions. Know this, that even in those midst of silence, even in those midst of difficulty, God, Jesus, is there. And may His grace provide the comfort that all of us desperately need, no matter how dark it gets, because He will not let us down. He can't let us down. And He is there. Father, we pray. We pray as we think through this psalm. Little do we realize that in the midst of this psalm, that there is hope. We pray, Lord, to You because You are the one who gives hope. In the darkness. You are the one that went to that deepest pit possible so that we would never have to go to that deepest pit. You went into the darkness so that we can never be alone in the darkness because you're there and you understand. And Lord, for those in this room right now, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that You would reach into that darkness and remind them that You are there. That You care. That You will never leave them or forsake them. And Lord, for those in this room that do not know You, that are in the darkness, my prayer for them is that Your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that they would say, Lord, Jesus... I need you right now. And that you would reach into their lives and that you would rescue. As the psalmist proclaimed in the first verse about you are the one who saves, I pray that they would experience, that those who are in the darkness without you, that they would experience your saving power in the midst of what's going on in their life right now. Lord, may we not forget that in the midst of the darkness that You're there and that You will carry us through. Thank You for being the one that we can express our emotions to, that we can express questions to, and You don't get intimidated by our emotions or questions. We pray that we not forget that and that You would develop our relationship with You in such a way that we would carry on that relationship by Your grace. Thank You for that steadfast love that walks us through whatever comes our way, that never leaves us or forsakes us. Thank You for hanging in there with us, even in the darkness. Oh Lord, be lifted up in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we uh, ask Jamal and the rest of the guys to come up, as we uh, enter into this next song, it's a song that we're familiar with. It's a song of hope. And it's a song that will remind us that He truly is alive, that He lives, and He's with us. I invite you to stand and sing out with us.